Well, the year has come to an end yet again, and we are yet again recording through Zoom uh, due to Omicron, the worst Decepticon, and also just our schedule back this time of year. Also laziness. Uh, also. Just valid. Yeah. yeah. Hard anyway. to get together. It's a bit of a lower key episode, but hey, it's our best of the year. It's that oh. video. It's time to watch a movie you never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles and there'll be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 600 years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video with Phil. I'm Phil. Oh, I'm Kit. And I'm Graham saying we forgot how to do this online. Yes. Uh, welcome to another episode Sorry, of Merry Movie Mayhem where we're going to be going through our favorite films of 2021. It's still weird for me to oh, say no. 2021 because I, I still haven't quite processed 2020 yet. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do this uh, in like a, a round situation where Phil will go first with a film, then Kit will go, and then I'll go. Um, I think right. I have a longer list of of top films. I have a I have a top ten. Um, Is this like we, films that were released in twenty twenty one? Well, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll make it a little. Um, we'll we'll cheat a little. If something came out in twenty twenty and you saw it, then uh, then we'll go through it. Did you guys not do any preparation for this episode? As you I, I thought we were doing <laughs> I, I put on my glasses. Okay. Yeah, I've got my I've got my letterbox app open. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm uh... okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to talk about two runner-ups before we get into it that didn't make my list. Which it's kind of weird. They're films that I thought for sure would make my list, but when I thought of like what are the films that I think about still and go back to, one I only saw last week, so I think in time it might edge its way up. And I really like the film and that was Sean Baker's Red Rocket about an ex-porn star who goes back to his hometown to try and. Trying to get his life together and then spectacularly does not. Um, and then the other film that uh, I thought for sure would make my top 10 but didn't was um, Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright, uh, which is a film that I highly encourage anyone to see on the big screen because it is a big screen movie. There's great big set pieces. It's it's super fantastic to look at. But um, in my heart of hearts, it's it, it's just not not on the top of the heap. Definitely, it's one of the best films of the year. Both films are, are two of the best films of the year, but I, uh, uh, for personal reasons or whatever, they just didn't uh, didn't make it on my list. So, Phil, what's first on your? Uh, even though we're not going with like a ranked listing, but like, what's your? Yeah, I, I can't do a ranked listing, but uh, my first highlight was, um, or one of the first highlights was uh, the Velvet Underground documentary, The Velvet Underground, uh, directed by Todd Haynes. Which is really just a masterclass of how to do a documentary. You talk to the people who are there and forget everybody else. You don't need talking heads and uh, 
It was just impeccably made. And uh, another interesting challenge is that there isn't that much, you know, video archival footage of the Velvet Underground. So they, so Todd Haynes did end up using, you know, like a lot of audio, um, it was mostly audio archival information, but he was able to marry it to, you know, visual stuff that's, you know, not like lame on the nose filler that you'd expect from other documentaries. You know, if somebody's talking about, you know, you make like a metaphor for outer space, for example, and it's like, oh, here's some uh, stock footage of the moon or, you know. Mm-hmm. But, Very cool. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, it's also not just about the Velvet Underground. Like, it, it's a pretty good overview of, like, the 60s factory scene and, like, the 60s avant-garde movie movement. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah, no, I still haven't seen it yet. It's it's on Apple. I should just bite the bullet yeah. and rent it. Um, I wish it was showing on a big screen. I wish Hot Docs could have booked it, but I had to just stream it on my laptop, which is fine, but... But it's it's yeah. one of the few documentaries that would greatly benefit from uh, a big screen experience. Great. All right. So that was the Velvet Underground for Phil. Kit, what's your first pick? Well, how many how many films are on your list, Graham? My list? I have a 10 list, but uh, but I don't anticipate because, again, it was hard to see movies in theaters. Um, and there's also just the general like, oh, we're going to wait and hold things off. We should also point out that none of us have seen Licorice Pizza, yeah, which opens on Christmas Day, or the new Spider-Man movie, which I really want to see. But what did you say, Kit? Uh, okay, so I've seen eight films that actually came out in uh, 2021. There we year. go. Um, so just basing it on uh, glancing at my Letterboxd reviews, I will. Um, I'll just give you the, the the first two. So we're not. I'll I'll try to do like a top five. Um, so I'll just give you. Uh, Two off the bat. No, no, do one, and then we'll come back to you. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, bottom of the uh, the heap then would uh, would be Fear Street, nineteen ninety four. Oh, wow! wasn't wasn't a big fan. I gave it two stars. I mean, I I didn't hate it. I just uh, didn't think it was great. Yeah. Didn't I even tell me to watch the next one, so I'm, I didn't even bother uh, with the trilogy. Uh, just kind of was one of these Netflix things. It's a uh, it's one of these uh, like. Uh, terribly nostalgic kind of uh in the wake of stranger things just nostalgia porn for like this 80s um or 90s in this case i suppose uh kind of vibe i i disagree um but i do have to say part two 1978 was way better um i i i i enjoyed 1994 but i didn't love it it didn't make my list spoiler alert um, obviously, but, um, but I would say, I, I agree with your points. I also think someone pointed out recently, it's interesting that like people tend to have nostalgia for times they didn't actually live in, like something just before them that they feel that they missed. Whereas we live through the period of 19, mm-hmm. uh, Fair Street, 1994, certain things that might hit harder with somebody who was born maybe in like 1993, who, who weren't really cognizant around might hit better. But uh, yeah, so that was um, was yeah. curiously. Yeah, it's like the the '70s show was kind of big mm-hmm. for, uh, or or Greece in the '70s was just a uh, was like the '50s. Exactly, uh, and Happy like Days. 
Yeah, it's it's just sort of uh, like I don't mind some nostalgia a little bit. I can I can be lured in, but it, it's it's easily done. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cheap. Um, anyway, done to. But it did have a good homage to uh, one of our favorite films, Intruder, from uh, from the Death by Video. Oh, it, it did have uh, yeah, a pretty gnarly. Uh, the only good death scene in it was in the grocery store. It involved a uh, like a meat slicer. Yeah. Yeah. Was, All right. Pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, going to go on to mine, and I'm going to go with uh, Halloween Kills, directed by David Gordon Green. The, uh, That's number uh, 10 for you, or number 9? We'll call it number 10, uh, but I, I'm not ranking these either, but I'll just say, like, that was a film that I enjoyed a lot. It kicked a whole lot of butt. Um, uh, some people didn't like it. I don't know. I, I realized that I think the reviews from Canada... And the viewers in Canada enjoyed it more because it almost could be seen like there's a mob in it that um, are like going to go chase the Michael Myers down. And a lot of people didn't like the mob. And I felt that like the divide was like, it's because they sounded like a bunch of Americans. Like, we're going to take care of this. We're going to do it. Evil dies tonight. That's what they kept saying. And then Michael Myers just slaughtered them all like ruthlessly. And it was great. It was fun. Uh, It had (laughs) some scares. Uh, The interesting thing is that, uh, not to spoil the film, but I am, is that... um, as uh, critic Joe Bob Briggs put it out, it's the only Halloween film where Michael Myers isn't defeated or dies at the end. That's not true. What's well, not true? That's it's not the only Halloween film where that happens. I'll tell Ooh. you for a fact. Oh, Halloween, Halloween six. Three. Oh, right, Halloween three. He is not defeated or dies at the end because he's not in the movie. But yes, fair. But okay, valid. So, yeah. Point. Halloween Kills, it's a raucous good time. Uh, the mob reminded me a bit of the January 6th, uh, which is not going to be my only time talking about the January 6th insurrection riot, <laughs> uh, this this <laughs> this podcast about movies. But the mob reminded me of like the, the you know, the rioters at January 6th that, uh, that attacked the Capitol in, in the United States of America. And then Michael Myers just... Is, 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 Mike, is Michael Myers the capital in this in this scenario? Then I think Michael Myers is the shining sword of democracy. In this <laughs> is he the seat of government <laughs> is the you know the beacon of. He's a Democrat. <laughs> I think he's more of a socialist, to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> he's a Bernie he, bro. Yeah, equal uh, yeah. opportunity killer. Halloween kills. All right, Phil. What is your next uh, on uh, on your picks? Um, I have to go with uh, Paul Schrader's uh, favorite movie of 2021. It wasn't my favorite movie, but it's it, it makes the cut. Um, the Card Counter. Nice. Didn't yeah. Paul Schrader direct The Card Counter? Yes, he did. But it was also his number one favorite movie of 2021. He's not oh. proud of all of his work, but he's clearly proud of that. And he was also, I think, I'm pretty sure he also ranked um, First Reformed as his favorite movie of 2018. Yeah, I saw him like uh, one of those uh, the uh, Facebook posts of Paul Schrader um, accounts on Twitter, where he was sort of just explaining that, where he's like, you know, if you feel good about your film, put it at the top of the list. It's almost like a self-help thing. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't used to do that. But honestly, if you feel good about your film, just put it at the top. Get it out of the way. You got to respect that. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I have yet to see it, but I, uh, I want to. It's the one Paul Schrader yeah. film because like, I'm so hot and cold on Paul Schrader. I think he was best when he was just purely a writer. And then when he started directing, uh, I don't know how to put it. I don't think it, um, 
I don't think it took as well, but my, uh, I do have to laugh because like the last Paul Schrader film, or the most recently directed Paul Schrader film that I saw was The Canyons starring mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan. So I don't know if that's- James Dean. Well, yeah, that's not that good overview of uh, Paul Schrader, I must say. Um, he is a hit and miss director, but even a bad Paul Schrader movie is worth watching in my opinion. Because, cool. you know, he's, he's at least going for something. I can agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, Kit, what's your next selection? Um, uh, let me see. I actually watched nine films this year, so who knows? Uh, so I guess this is film number eight. Would you could be, also, uh, sorry to interrupt, but you could also select films from 2020. We're not limiting it to just 2021. Uh, that opens the floodgates. I'll restrict it to nine. That's, okay. that's fine. Um, because it's all Oscar bait at the uh, at the start of the year. All those twenty twenty films that I didn't squeeze onto last year's list. Um, uh, we so at number eight we've got Venom. Let there be carnage, <laughs> right? It was a uh, it was a wild film, uh, incoherent at times, but um, you know what? It, it had some real sweet moments, some very tender moments uh, about love, um, and the misunderstanding. And the, the worst haircut I think Woody Harrelson has ever sported in a movie, to be honest with you. It's his, I've never seen him with, I do not know what was up with his haircut. It was not necessary for the character. Just a bad haircut all around. I think they're trying to echo the comics. Now, I haven't seen the film, but is it like curly red hair? Uh, man, I need to get a picture of it. It's just one of the things that I uh, put in my review. Now you're calling me on it. Now I have to look it up. Do, 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 do. Venom. He has curly red hair in the beginning. Uh, so he's. Um... Oh, I see it. Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah, so he has curly red hair, but it is at least that's what was in some of the uh, teaser trailers. I think they actually changed it for the movie. He's got this weird, like, brushed forward undercut thing going on uh yeah. it's, it's very strange terrible terrible look so that was a that was a good three minutes looking at Harrelson's haircut from Venom uh Let There Be Carnage anyway so that's uh that's the next movie on my list that was Let There Be Carnage uh, or Venom Let There Be Carnage all director, right I, I should have got the director we should shout out these directors yeah I, I went through uh so next Oh, Andy Serkis, of course. Directed by Andy Serkis. King Kong himself, uh, Andy Serkis. So the next movie on my my list is actually kind of, I don't want to say it's in a similar vein, but it features a giant monster. Uh, It's Psycho Goreman, directed by Stephen Kostansky uh, of Canada. It's a Canadian film. I um, see that. I, I saw that on, uh, I noticed that on Shudder and was thinking about checking it out. Yeah, it's a super fun film. It's basically like, what if a little girl got control of a intergalactic genocidal maniac and just decided to become friends with him. And uh, it's kind of heartwarming, but not. And it's very violent and very uh, gross, but wonderful nonetheless. Uh, Great practical special effects. I think it was all shot in like Hamilton or something, or maybe even, maybe Sault Ste. Marie, I guess. That's where a lot of these lower budget Canadian films get shot. Uh, but it was, yeah, just fun, gory, uh, really messed up. Just had like how, you know, 
a little girl controlling an intergalactic uh, genocidal maniac can be, but it's yeah, super fun. Really dug it. Really glad to see because it's because uh, Steven Kostansky, he directed his first solo directorial film because he came from the Astron Six directing collect or filmmaking collective. His first solo film was The Void from a few years ago, which was quite good. And then he did he did like I think he did a WWE produced Leprechaun film. Oh wow! But I might be wrong. It might have been a different Leprechaun film that he did. Um, and now Does he's Leprechaun trying- wrestle in this. No. No, that was the WWE has gone through like WWE films went through a weird period where they were actually trying to make films that didn't feature WWE wrestlers or if they were featured, they were just a minor role. So like they did that. um, What was that film? 50 Dead Men Walking or something or like there was a bunch of like ones where you're like you'd see the WWE films logo. come and You're like, wait, Stone Cold Steve Austin isn't in this. Um, This is actually like a legitimate international film. Um, But yeah, Psycho Gorman. Totally, highly recommend it. Uh, distributed by Raven Banner Canada, which is a wonderful distributor in Canada who I hope one day will distribute one of my films. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, so again, Psycho Gourmet, directed by Stephen Kostansky. So, Phil, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick is uh, The French Dispatch. Yes. Yeah, so it's a movie that uh, two-thirds of uh, Death by Video went to go see uh, in this Yes, and we sat yeah, front I row. To see it again, yes, not in the front row, but uh, do what you can because it's an extremely busy movie. And uh, wow, front row! So like you were like just staring up. Oh yeah, like I I could feel my retinas detaching just like. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other problem is that like the way they did subtitles was they have subtitles in like different corners of the screen. Yeah, and so occasionally I'd be watching something where somebody would be speaking in French or another language. And I'd be like, oh, crap, there's a subtitle up there that I missed. And I didn't realize it. So you'd have to, like, turn your head. It was very, it was a very, like, almost like a very interactive way to watch a movie. Yes. Well, it's not just the subtitles. Like, there would be, like, these uh, steady takes where, you know, there would just be, like, 18 different things happening in the scene. These, like, wide shots of, you know, buildings where they're just, like, I'm like, my eyes are just darting around, like, trying to capture everything that's happening in that given moment. Yeah. I just want to point out, I realized on Zoom, our listeners can't see it, but I'm wearing an Exorcist t-shirt wrapped in a Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers blanket, drinking tea out of a Dawn of the Dead mug. As, as was foretold, you're definitely <laughs> yes. risking. With the franchise show. <laughs> or I was going to say, like, yes, ladies, I am single. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, French Dispatch was great. It's on my list. I'll talk about it as well. I really, I enjoyed it. Like, I actually think it's probably my favorite Wes Anderson since the life aquatic with Steve Zizou. Like I, okay. um, I appreciated, um, I, re- I, you know, I, dug, I actually really dug, um, Darjeeling limited. I thought that that's like a film that many people talk about, mm-hmm. but I thought it like narrative wise was probably one of his better films. Um, and, uh, I haven't seen any of his stop motion films. I, and I didn't really care for what's the boy scout movie. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I thought it was sweet. Yeah. I, Fantastic I, Mr. Fox is solid. Yeah. So you keep it's telling the, me. It's the second animated film ever, uh, put into the Criterion Collection. Oh, what was the first? Was it a Miyazaki film? Akira. Oh, Akira. Right. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I highly recommend fresh French dispatch as well. Kit, you must see the French dispatch. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. It is one of his best movies, even though very few people seem to consider it uh, one of his best movies. And Which is very bizarre. Yeah. And it, for some reason, has sparked a fresh new uh, Wes Anderson backlash from ex-fans who, you know, like they've been burned out on Wes Anderson. And this movie's just kind of the breaking point for them. Well... They should just, you know, learn to find a little love in their heart and no, sure, and just enjoy it. Because, like, here's the thing: if both Phil, if both you and I agree on a movie, it's yes. got to be good. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was the French Dispatch for Phil and myself. We'll count that. Um, Kit, what's your next pick? Um. Oh snap! <laughs> uh, well, I'll also mention that I watched the Card Counter uh, here. Mm-hmm. I'll put that in that number, whatever not keeping track i guess anymore yeah yes i i also enjoyed it uh recently cool uh it reminded me a lot of um uh hard eight the uh debut pt anderson film mm-hmm. it's almost like both directors got the same writing prompt and went in their different directions and i'd say that i think a lot of directors might have gone the way of pt anderson but i you know only paul schrader is gonna come out with the eight abu grab uh backstory etc yeah good. what a way to ring in the 20th anniversary of 9-11 yeah it wasn't it released like on the day it was released on the day and they <laughs> hit it, completely hit it in the marketing so like when people went to see it, it's like was this intentional <laughs> you know it probably was and they're probably like we're not yeah. going to tell anyone yeah. it's on the 20th anniversary when everyone's already feeling sad and they go out to see a movie Kablamo! It's 9-11 in a movie. It, it's solid. Uh, you got, like, um, Willem Dafoe almost playing the exact opposite of his character in Platoon. Um, but he's, like, a civilian consultant for uh, Abu Ghraib. I'm, I'm not pronouncing that correctly, probably. Um, Oscar Isaac is good. Um, and then it's uh, Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. Tiffany uh, Haddish uh, is in it? Yeah, yeah. yeah she's okay. She's not the most accomplished actress. No. Uh, but, I mean, it's not a... And who who plays the kid, actually? Ty Sheridan, who looks exactly like Barry Keoghan from uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. But I'm, I'm guessing he's not... Because uh, after I watched Killing of a Sacred Deer, um, I didn't realize that Barry Keoghan was, was Irish. But as soon as I learned that fact, I was like, oh, of course he is. He looks so goddamn Irish. Yeah, um, he's got a very Irish last name. <laughs> But um, this kid didn't strike me uh, that way, at least. So maybe yeah. he's the American. He's the American uh, yeah, version. Very killing. Uh, anyway, so I guess that's uh, that's my next movie. Okay. All righty here. Let me bring up my next one. Uh, so next, uh, we're going into some franchise stuff. This is a film that I didn't expect to like as much as I did. It was actually the first film that I saw. No, it was the second film that I saw back in movie theaters once they reopened. Uh, it is The Forever Purge, directed by uh, Everardo Gout. Um, so it is the most recent in the uh, the Purge series of films, which is a franchise that I didn't think I had any really interest in, but every single one of the movies of theirs that I've seen has been really enjoyable, really great. I even dug the TV series that they did for two years where they had a two-year Purge TV series. Um, and The Forever Purge basically is follows up on spoiler from the purge 
And The Purge Election Day, which was not the previous film, but it was the film before the previous film, The Purge was abolished. But now The Purge has been back, has come back, and uh, it's the first Purge back since. And when it's supposed to end in the morning, uh, the next day, a bunch of people who have, like, online conspired together just decide, no, we're not going to let it stop, even though, like, the government tells us it's going to stop. We're going to keep it going, much like the Trump uh, supporters on January 6th um, at the Capitol. Um, so they basically it becomes a forever purge where a highly um, armed and angry group of people, mob of people nationwide in the United States, uh, decide to keep going and just doing whatever they want and killing people. And so it's about a, a families, two families who together have to desperately try and get to Mexico to to escape from America, basically. And it deals a lot of stuff with race and how, but in not a but not in a way that's that's played out or tacky. Um, which I'm again, I'm surprised that like the what is it, one, two, three, four, like the fifth movie in this series can still say something about race and class inequality and also international relations because it's very much a Canada and Mexico decide to have open up their borders to uh, to refugees from the United States for a short period of time. And that's how these people, uh, that's what they're trying to get to. But then the borders close and they have to sneak across the border into Mexico while being pursued by a bunch of villainous, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, Donald Trump esque QAnon conspirators who want to kill them because it's their quote unquote God given right to purge. Um, I highly recommend this movie. I, again, was not expecting to say this when the year started, but yeah, I highly recommend the forever purge. Forever purge. Have you guys seen any of the purge movies? I've only seen the original. I've seen, no, I've seen the original. I think I've seen the original one. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting. Ethan Hawke, decided to do the original because he wasn't paid like he was paid scale because the original one was a very low budget film mm-hmm. um but he said that at the time he was looking to do something about uh about, about like class struggle and but everything he was reading that was explicitly about it was so on the nose and tacky and then he read the purge and he's like oh this is a great way to handle this topic where it's not in your face not beating you in the head with it and um and that's why he chose the role and i mean that's continued throughout them like it's it's amazing how the purge kind of pr- like it was the the tea party that kind of inspired the the movie the pur- the first purge to be made and then from there like the rise of Donald Trump was kind of almost seemingly like was foretold in the purge films and then the the purge film just before this one confusingly titled the first purge because it is about the first purge ever in America uh, is almost explicitly like referencing Donald Trump, even though I don't think Donald Trump was even elected when they shot the film. So it's very, very interesting series of films that definitely, I think, reflect the times that we're in, especially for the United States of America. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Forever Purge. Phil, what's next on your list? Uh, the Souvenir Part 2. Nice. So, yeah, um, Souvenir Part 2, it's not quite... It doesn't meet the impossible standards of the greatness of the first souvenir, which was my favorite movie of 2019 and was way up there on my favorites of 20, the 2010s. But um, the movie, the second souvenir, it goes in a really interesting meta direction, which I was not expecting. 
But it's meta done in an incredibly clever and layered way. Nice. Good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I sadly have not seen the souvenir part one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed it when it was in theaters. And I'm like, oh, I'll catch it later on. And then the pandemic happened and like kind of got thrown through for a loop. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't until the souvenir part two came out that I was like, oh yeah, I gotta go back and catch up with that film. So I'm I'm anticipating over the holidays catching up on the souvenir part one and maybe part two. Yeah, I went to it into a cold, like just thinking like because the first souvenir is such a standalone self-contained movie. And I was just I went into a cold not wanting to know what happens in the souvenir too. And mm-hmm. I was uh very taken by it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. All right. Souvenir okay. does sound like one of those um horror movie franchises yes this they, I would happily uh, watch a souvenir see. part three <laughs> in 3d um yeah the souvenir yeah kit what's your next pick uh well why don't we go with another film i think we've all seen um this would be pig yes directed uh directed by uh, michael, michael sarnowski yeah yep. it's on my uh, list we, as well we saw that in theaters mm-hmm uh, again, my list is constrained by the fact that I only saw nine new films this year. But yeah, say la vie. Uh, but yeah, I, I did. I did quite enjoy uh, Pig. A nice uh, dramatic turn from Nicolas Cage that will probably be forgotten about um, when Oscar nominations are rolling in. But that is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice understated Nicolas Cage. You know. Yeah, I really. He's going off the handle and and being wild, almost just for fun. Um, I mean, I, I, I enjoy it too. There was that, uh, uh, a trailer for that one film that he's in coming up, um, with a Japanese director. Oh, uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yeah. 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 I actually rented that from Bay Street Video and I've, uh, I was watching that earlier today, but I'm starting to feel the fatigue from my booster shot of, uh, of the vaccine. So I kind of was passing out, even though the film was looking great. So I'm going to, either revisit it tonight when we're done or tomorrow morning, but, uh, prisoners of the ghost land directed by Sion Sono. Um, yeah. yeah oh, it's, suicide club. Oh, suicide club. And, uh, love exposure. Was that the other film? Yeah. That known same for? guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He directed a really wild sequel to the suicide club called Noriko's dinner table, which is one of the few sequels that's like way superior to the original. Cool. I've got to, I've got to see suicide club, AKA suicide circle, because I just, I remember when that was coming out, it played at Fantasia and yeah. uh, I just never got around to watching it, but I want to see, I want to catch up on his work. Uh, I do want to watch Love Exposure, but I know Love Exposure is like, what is it? Like four hours? It's four long. hours. Yeah. I, I've never watched it, but it's yeah. supposedly a very brisk four hours though. That's all the reviews have said. Like we walked out of the theater and didn't realize the whole day was gone. Um, but yeah. I remember a point on one screen here. It was at like the Japanese culture Ooh. center on like, like Winford and Don Mills. <laughs> I've been there. I, yeah. I actually, I actually filmed a commercial there in, in yeah. December of 2019, and they were showing. Um, they were actually going to be showing uh, Takashi Miike's First Love. Okay, which, wow. uh, is a film that me and Kit uh, enjoyed quite a bit, and I actually got to yeah. talk to one of the the gentlemen who worked at the Japanese Cultural Center, and he was like, "Oh yeah, Takashi Miike that comes here like every couple of years to uh, to do a screening," and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Um, and he's like, "Yeah, I took him out for lunch. He's a very nice, quiet, polite man." Uh, and then I watched his films and was like mortified. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Aya Khan Museum hadn't been built 
finished being built yet at the time. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to go there, you can go to like the Japanese Cultural Center, and then you can go to uh, the Aga Khan Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I Pig is also on my list. Phil, is it on your list as well? It's it's like an honorable mention. Oh, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I loved it, loved it, and I'm uh, I'm glad to have it on my list. Uh, I'm glad it's one of the, the nine films from 2021 the kids saw. It is it's one of the best. I recommend it to everyone. Why it's on the list, but I did like it too. I mean, yeah, yeah, a nice three yeah. and a half stars. I think it's a quality film. Yeah, Sorry, it's, and from Pig shit. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, also man. It really makes you think that you might be able to just strike it rich, uh, looking for truffles. Yeah, I think there's a bit more to it than the movie indicated. But um, I also, yeah, the money. I also think it's like being a truffle hunter is. I looked it up afterwards. It is like something drug addicts do a lot because it's quick, easy money. Mm-hmm. So, so imagine you're a competent person who's not addicted to drugs. I thought you were going to say, imagine Rolling you're in the drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. A functioning heroin addict. Imagine what it, one could do. They exist. Yeah. Keith but Richards then, just out there in the woods. But yeah, that was that was Pig. Um, so next I'm going to move on to a Canadian film, another Canadian film that I liked. And I'm going to apologize. Two of the films on my list are not currently available uh, to stream or see anywhere. They were seen at a, a film festival. Uh I know I'm a pretentious. I go to film festivals and I pronounce it film. Um, no, it's uh, Woodland Gray directed by Adam Reeder. So this is a Canadian film from Quebec, uh, which is thankfully in English. Um, it's a it's kind of folk horror, um, but it's it's basically it was inspired by. And I also got to meet the director and talk to him. He's a super nice guy. He gave me a bottle of hot sauce. I think we talked about that on a previous episode. Um, still using that hot sauce to this day. It's great hot sauce, but, um, uh, the film was inspired by an article from, I think in the New York times, or maybe, maybe one of the, the, the periodicals that are popular, the Atlantic or the walrus or something like that, maybe the New Yorker. Um, but it was basically about a hermit who was living in the woods by himself for years who had no contact with anyone. And, uh, until he was eventually caught, um, I think, stealing food or something but um and that inspired this like what would cause someone to to want to go and live in the woods and not have any contact with people and uh we sold that book yeah Mm -hmm. but it's uh yeah it's a really great film it's it's in the horror vein there's definitely uh supernatural stuff going on and basically the story is a, a a woman out for a hike um gets lost and encounters this man who's been in the living in a small trailer by himself in the woods for all these years and is injured and he takes care of her. And she soon learns the thing that keeps him there, which is a terrifying, uh, something. Is it a ghost? We don't know. Is it a specter or a, or a physical being? It's tired to say, and I'm not going to spoil the movie cause it's again, not out yet, but it's, uh, it's really, really good. I highly recommend it. That is, Woodland Gray, directed by Adam Reeder. Hmm. All right, Phil, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick is my favorite movie of 2021, uh, Power of the Dog, uh, directed by Jane Campion with uh, Barrett Cumberbatch and uh, Kirsten Dunst and uh, Jesse Plemons. 
Yeah, I still have not seen it yet. I don't want to watch it on Netflix, but uh, I think with the way Omicron has been going, I probably it probably will be a Netflix watch over the holidays. You've got you have a good sound system, so you can yeah. make it work. Yeah, with uh, with your nice TV and sound system, I think it could work. I watched it on on my stupid Toshiba t- television, um, and well, I wished I'd watched it in the theaters, but it was yeah. still good on a TV. It's a good movie. The only issue is my for Netflix, it doesn't run through my sound system. Oh, yeah. Well, if you put it on your computer, I guess it might, right? No, no, no. It's my sound system's all analog. It runs through cables into a into a central area, which unfortunately got to be a way to make it work. Yeah, ah, uh, sure. Playing out of your TV, there's got to be a way to make it work. Yeah, but um, oh, that's great. So, Power of the Dog. Uh, which I always want to call Temple of the Dog, <laughs> which is just like it's not hunger strike season. Um, mm-hmm. When yeah. I first heard of the title, I thought it, I assumed it was based on the Don Winslow book, uh, Power of the Dog. And Don Winslow is basically um, a book about the Mexican drug cartel. Oh, see, I initially thought for a second there, I was like, did he just say Michael Winslow, Motormouth from Police Academy? No, no, no. <laughs> He wrote a book? Oh, cool. Yeah, if only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, it, but it's based on another novel called ah. Power of the Dog. Popular title. The catchy title. Yeah. So it's the uh, one of the two best westerns of the 21st century. Uh, that and Meek's Cutoff, both directed by women. Mm-hmm. Kit, what did you think of Power of the Dog? Oh, I liked it as well. Uh, I think the title comes from a, a Bible passage. Yes, it does. What I've understood from the action of the movie. Um, no, it's uh, it's really uh, good. Uh, just uh, and the reason why you want to see it on a big screen is just those uh, those Montana vistas, just oh, uh, yeah. wide mountain ranges and stuff like that, and it's just beautifully shot. Uh, I don't know the cinematographer offhand. It's obviously directed by Jane Campion. Um, the big uh, Johnny Greenwood score. Oh, and a really good Johnny Greenwood score. Although it's probably his most similar to uh, The Rule Yes, it's, it's very distinctly Johnny. This sounds like a Johnny Greenwood score. Yeah, It's um, just gone to that point now. <laughs> so, And I checked the credits. Oh, it is a Johnny Greenwood score. It's just him. Yeah, sometimes. Oh. I was going to say, I, it's just ahead, him Grant. still showing up Tom York for his Suspiria score. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you think that was good? Check this out. Yeah, I like. I've, I've still have not seen Suspiria, and I suspect maybe I never will. Maybe I will, um, but I do like some of the songs off that album. Anyway. What were you going to say, Kit? Before I cut you off to make the the dig at Tom York. Um, oh, uh, I just uh, was thinking of um, "You Were Never Really Here," uh, which Johnny Greenwood also does the soundtrack for. But that one, I didn't. I enjoyed the soundtrack and was surprised when I saw Johnny Greenwood at the end. Yeah. Even though it makes sense when you see his name, it's like, oh, that's why it's. A little strange, um, but uh, really enjoyed um, the power of the dog as well. Really good performances. Who does the uh, who plays the kid? The the skinny uh, Cody Smith McPhee. The only other movie I've right? seen him in was um, the Let the Right One In remake. Uh, Let Me In. Oh, which I've also seen. He was the he was the yeah. boy in that. He was the boy in uh, Let Me In. I'm sure I've seen him in other things though, and that name sounds super familiar. But um, well, good for him. Yeah. yeah. Cool. But, uh, yeah, not gonna he's apparently an Australian actor, which uh, I did not know. Those Aussies, not... even their kids are taking our roles. Yeah, not be allowing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've even heard of American actors 
faking Australian accents when they go to an audition, pretending they're from Australia, and then doing their like regular accent for when they're like, oh, I'll put on an American accent for my thing and getting cast. And it's like hilarious. Yeah. Well, like half the cast of Succession, like they're either British or Australian. And yeah. But they do American accents so well. It's like, oh, okay. I was just really taken aback when I just watched them in interviews. Although even Brian Cox is really just doing his own voice. He's not. Yeah, he's doing his own voice. Yeah. He's supposed to be Canadian. But like uh, Matthew McFadden's British, I had no oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, he was uh, he was in like one of those Austin adaptations a few years ago. Oh, okay, back. Mm-hmm. I, I, which I clearly did not see. I think he was. I think he's Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. If I'm not mistaken, I could be okay. mistaken. Ah, of course, Brian Cox, the best Hannibal actor. Yes, agreed. Yes, cool. Kit, what's your next selection? Uh, well, I just did talk about the power of the dog, oh, so yeah. I think it's your turn. Graham. My turn. Okay, going uh, on with another Canadian film. It is The Family, directed by Dan Slater, which, again, apologies, not available anywhere yet. Uh, But it is a fantastic film. It might actually be my favorite film of the year, but but it's it's so hard for me to, to call those things. But I love this film to death. It stars the fantastic Nigel Bennett, uh, finally getting a good role for him to sink his teeth into. Um... We talked about this on a previous episode. Uh, I really dug the film. It's again, kind of folk horror and it's uh, basically just about being in a family and that's the horror of it. There's no supernatural oogity boogity. It's just uh, being in a, in a terrifying family. That is the family directed by Dan Slater, hopefully distributed widely next year. Phil, back to you. Uh, that's all for good movies. Uh, oh, no. After, uh, disappointments. <laughs> oh, no. Let's not. Let's yeah. keep it positive, shall we? Okay. Oh, let's. We'll, we'll do a small thing at the end of your disappointments. Okay. I, don't, I don't like doing dogs of the year. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't like tearing cinema down. We got to be building it up. Uh, I, I didn't well, even it's, it's a bit extreme to say that, like, my main disappointment was, you know, uh, a real dog it's just i was disappointed by it like it had all the potential to be great and then it was eh. yeah all right all right we, we've talked about this you you're on a similar page about the movie I okay know. okay so it's you're talking about last night in soho no Last night in Soho, I straight up hated. Um, oh. T-10. <laughs> T-10 was the movie. Uh, oh, yeah. T-10. I, I did not like it at all. Okay. T-10? Yeah. Sorry. I haven't seen it yet. T-10 had merits. Like, I thought you guys said T-Town. I was very confused. Yes, T-Town. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't think T-10 had merit. Um I I didn't like it at all. And I and I, it's not it's not a knock on that filmmaker. Like I thought it was very well made, but I just don't think that the story was there at all. And I also think Raw was a much better film. Yeah, Raw was a much better film. Like Raw wasn't great, but it was still good. And like I'm waiting for I, I know she has it in her. Like I know she's gonna do something like really good mm-hmm. someday, but she's just not there yet. Yeah, it almost feels like she didn't know what, like, I don't want to theorize or say anything, but it almost feels like the director didn't know what kind of movie they wanted to make. And That's so exactly they, it. That's why it was disappointing for me. Yeah. There's so many films like that. Yeah. 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 All right. 
Kit, what's your next selection? <laughs> uh, well, still on the good good side of things, because I'm a positive guy. Uh, I really noticed that that my use of uh, the word vibes to describe uh, whether I like a movie or not has just shot through the roof. Uh, maybe even just this year, but it's really uh, becoming more and more of, a, of the vibes of a film and uh, what those mean. I don't know. This is a terrible segue into my next film, which uh, is another one we all saw together, Benedetta. Yeah, Benedetta is on my list of uh, favorites of the year as well. I uh, uh, I dug this movie a lot. I thought about it a I lot after the, I saw it. The horny lesbian nun movie. It was, yeah. it was fun. That, that's another one of my honorable mentions. Pig and Benedetta are like my two honorable mentions. Oh, okay. We shouldn't keep describing it as the horny lesbian nun movie. It's <laughs> a good descriptor for it. I mean, it's a, it's not, it is a bit more serious than that, but it's also a movie that I think, uh, it's it, also a lot campier than that too. Yeah. It knows that it's supposed to be fun. It knows that, yeah. you know, it is what it is. It knows that it is kind of a horny lesbian nun movie. Uh, that's going to draw interest because of that fact alone. And it has fun with it. Yeah. You gotta love Paul Verhoeven for that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, it's just the end when, when the townspeople are stabbing the guy to death. <laughs> I, the brutality I, of the violence. Is I loved it so much. <laughs> it was so good just to see that guy get stabbed to death. <laughs> Yeah, Benedetta. Oh, like those, those plague pustules, like popping and oozing and stuff. It was it was really gnarly. So good. Yeah, man. God bless Paul Verhoeven. He's doing the Lord's work with those movies. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Religious about scholar Paul Verhoeven. Le- legitimate oh, religious scholar, yes. too, which is the crazy <laughs> thing. Well, yeah. Well, what if, if it's on your list? Uh, I don't want to. to but uh, what, what were your thoughts on the movie, Graham? You, it's awesome. Go, go see it like in a theater. That was the best thing to see it on a big screen in a theater. I wish it was more packed though. I wish there were more people there, but it's one of those things. Like I feel that like we're still not back into the, to the awareness of what's going on. And when things are screening that we used to be at. Ooh, apologize for my big yawn there. Can you tell me that actress, uh, the, the lead actress, I, yeah. I can't remember her name offhand. Uh, she's, she's 40, I think. She's yeah, she's well into her forties. Not no. not to not to reduce her to an age. No, no, no. But it's I like, was just sort of like great. researching all the actors in the film, and uh, sorry, I'm looking her up right now. Uh, when I was researching all the actors in the film, um, and her name came up, uh, Virginia Effery Refra. Um, she uh, I can't pronounce her name. She she was like a good like two decades older than I thought she was going to be. So, but I think you almost need to be, have that level of maturity to tackle a role like that and not have it just go become like some kind of weird softcore Jesus Franco film. Like uh, she clearly actually gave a true performance of someone going through a, or having a deeply deep religious calling, whether it be actually uh, the thing she's really awakening. Yes. Um, which either was legitimately caused by God or faked by her. But in the end, when she said it doesn't matter if it was real or not, it's like, yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, yeah. Benedetta, Paul Verhoeven still knocking it out of the park. Um, so I'll go to my next film, which is, I guess my second last film, because we've talked about a lot of my films with you guys. Uh, it is silent land uh, directed by, Phil, forgive me, this is a Polish name, Agnieszka 
Wozniewska. Nice. Okay. Let's see if you can figure this out. Uh, I can't read that at all. Hang on. Oh. Wozniewska. My favorite, I was going to say my favorite brand of vodka. Wozniewska. Um, yeah, Silent Land. I saw it at TIFF. I really, really like this film. It is a debut film from that director. Uh, it tells the story of a Polish couple on vacation in Italy. And um, not to spoil the movie, but uh, there's the, their pool on this vacation house doesn't work. So they're like demanding that like it gets fixed. So they send over a guy to fix it. And he falls into the pool and dies. And the couple are is constantly... Uh, but basically, you know, they call the, they call the emergency services. They do whatever they allege like they can do, but then they think, could we have done more? Did he, what if he didn't die when he hit his head on the bottom? What if he actually drowned? And it, uh, it kind of chews them apart from the inside. And it is a great, well-shot, well-directed, well-written, uh, film. I highly recommend it to everybody. Uh, I'm not sure when it's going to get a North American release, but Silent Land by Agnieszka, Wolszczynska uh, is fantastic. All right, Phil, what's your next disappointment? Uh, <laughs> last night in Soho. <laughs> Which is one of my honorable mentions. I know, but uh, yeah, like I was expecting it to be fun and it just wasn't. Well, that's the thing. I think a lot of people are were expecting like a fun movie and I knew going in like, it takes a turn and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's fun for a little bit. And then, uh, then it's not fun. And I, I enjoyed it. I, I appreciated the, the sheer terror that it, that it put on screen. But it wasn't terror for me. It was just tedium. Okay. And I, I did not like the visual style of it at all. Oh, really? I mean, on one hand, I liked to, it was nice to see um, Terrence Stamp and Diana Rigg back on screen. And that was Diana Rigg's last role and she's giving it her all. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, even though it didn't make my top 10, I still highly recommend people see Last Night in Soho. So, and I know not you're not the polar opposites because you're not like, you're not its biggest booster, but yeah. But uh, my, my whole thing with it though, is that like, it's an original film that I, I want to see more original films and less stuff. Although congratulations to Spider-Man Far From Home or No Way Home which made a quarter of a billion dollars in three days last weekend. The movies there are, are rumors that, there, there are rumors that theaters are like pushing out other movies to make. Yeah. Life. Nightmare Alley. That movie made like 1.2 million. So it's like a heaven's gate level flop, which is a bummer. But I think that it's one of those things where it's like, you know, when star Wars first opened, like this is a movie that people wanted to see and brought people back to theaters. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the article, the interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, where he said, so people asked him about superhero movies. And he's like, those are the things that are keeping theaters alive right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, I hope Spider-Man does incredibly well. Cause that'll mean that'll keep theaters around for another year at least. So yeah, man. He yeah. He has to take Spider-Man. his kids to see it. Yeah. He apparently loves those Marvel movies. Cause he watched them with yeah. kids and they're fun. So yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Kit, what's your next selection? Well, they are fun kids movies. I mean, most of them are yeah. fun kids. Uh, this one uh, we'll put in a, on a technicality because it was technically released in uh, 2021, although it was nominated for Oscars last year. 
Uh, I'll put uh, I'll put uh, Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah uh, on the list. Uh, my my favorite film of the year is probably uh, Power of the Dog, but we already talked about that one. So I'm just down to the last three here, and uh, we'll go with Judas and the Black Messiah, also uh, featuring Jesse Plemons, but um, really strong performances from uh, Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya. Not quite sure how to pronounce that last name, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, a good movie seemed uh, surprisingly accurate for uh, kind of a, like a big Warner Brothers studio film about the uh, life and uh, brief life and death of Fred Hampton, um, who was the chairman of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers and was assassinated by the FBI. Ooh, crazy! In his bed when he was 21 years old. Crazy. Well, yeah, I have not seen that film yet, but I, I intend to. There's a lot of stuff I got to catch up on, and I'm slowly catching up on stuff. Um, so for my, this is my last film in my top 10. Uh, and you know what? I think this probably is my favorite film of the year. Although it's, it's gotta be tied with the family. It is Censor directed by Prano Bailey Bond. So this is a British film, uh, which premiered, I think at Sundance this year. And it is set during the video nasty era in, uh, in Britain when, uh, movies on video were considered to be the greatest threat to humanity. And so some of them were outright banned. And it tells the story of someone working for the British, uh, the BBFC, uh, which is the British Board of Film Censors at the time. Now it's called the British Board of Film Classification, where she is a woman who basically watches horror films and then decides what gets cut out of them to pass it and what stays and what films should get banned outright entirely. She previously, when she was a child, experienced the trauma. And in one of the films that she's watching, it basically recreates that trauma from her childhood exactly as it happened. And so she becomes obsessed with finding out who, how the director knew about this and uh, what, like what exactly her, her basically her mental state starts to merge with that of the movie. And there's a really, really great effect towards in the climax, which I'm not going to spoil because it's something that you don't realize is happening until it's happened. And it's just great. Uh, I'll tell you guys after we finish recording, but it's it's uh, it's great. So censor uh, my top pick of the year for films that are available and released. Uh, yeah, it's it's a dynamite film. It's only like eighty minutes or ninety minutes. It's, it's another you know tight. We gotta you know get this story done, uh, and it's great. I loved it a lot. So Kit, what's next? Or sorry, Phil, what's next on your list? Uh, I'm gonna open up my letterbox now and see what else I watched that's a 2021 movie. I think that's it for 2021 stuff I've watched. And I don't think I've watched anything from 2020 this year that I liked. Ooh, some serious shade through 2020. <laughs> well, uh, how about we do a, another, I've got two more on my list that I, that I can cool. quickly do, but how about, um, we each do a couple of our best uh, first watches from 2021. First oh. time watching. First time watches. Okay, let me look. I gotta like start scrolling back now to find it. But go ahead, you start. Well, I'll do my um, number number two and number number three and number two. Wow, I can't speak tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll go with and consider a movie Peter Jackson's uh, "The Beatles Get Back" documentary. Okay, uh, really enjoyed. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a nice weekend I spent watching that movie. Hmm. Lots of lots of tea and uh, and scones. Yeah, it takes a whole weekend to watch it. It's it's a vibe, man. It's a vibe. 
which is uh, again how I'm seeing movies now. And uh, and then my final movie, which is now my number one, because we already talked about the power of the dog, so I have to move it back and this one forward. This movie, you guys were too cowardly to talk about, and that is Dune, part one. Oh, <laughs> oh I completely forgot that I, I saw Dune. I totally forgot about Dune. <laughs> Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Um, I just, uh, I don't know. Um, maybe it was just how I was feeling when I was watching it on the uh, big screen, but uh, I, I like the fact that Denis went for the, for the spectacle um, and the kind of, I don't know, um, the, it's not exactly cold, um, but it's not, you know, it's not very quippy. It's a pretty straightforward, like, uh, yeah, here's a, here's a drama about some, uh, some desert people. Um, and then some, uh, like a 15 minute sequence of a large spacecraft landing and, and, uh, and people getting off the spacecraft. Uh, I dug it. Uh, it ends rather abruptly, of course, cause they just kind of cut it. Uh, and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, part two. Shouldn't it be part deux? Part, part deux. <laughs> Dune, part deux. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah. I totally forgot about Dune. Well, you didn't enjoy it. I know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Phil, what's another one of your dis- what, what's a discovery that, that, <laughs> that you watched this year that you hadn't seen in in previous years? Uh, a good, really good discovery was um, watching the original uh, adaptation of uh, nineteen forty seven adaptation of Nightmare Alley. Nice, which was um, part of uh, the Fox Noir series on the Criterion Channel, which was just a phenomenal visually stunning adaptation of a great novel and that's just one of the best old noirs you can come across cool all right i'll go next um my my topic for like probably the best film that i saw that i hadn't seen before is sean baker's starlet uh, which is a fantastic, fantastic film. Probably one of the best films of the 21st century. Um, can't recommend it enough. Uh, there is a bit of a warning, though. There is some explicit sexual content, uh, which is in a, a pretty uh, some, a lot, bunch of Sean Baker's films, but uh, this one probably most explicitly. Uh, but it's a very heartwarming story about a woman, uh, a young woman who forms a friendship with a, with a woman in her 80s and uh, how they kind of like are friends and interact together while this young woman has a very different sort of job. Um, but uh, I like it quite a bit. Um, Kit, what is your one of your favorite discoveries of 2021? Well, I'm just looking back through the year, and uh, I did watch a lot of new movies this year, and a lot of good ones. Uh, but there's only three movies that uh, scored four and a half stars mm. uh, that were first watches. The first one is um, uh, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Aguirre? Mm. I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't Aguirre. know how to pronounce anything. Mm-hmm. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, very fun raft adventure movie. Mm-hmm. Cool. They had a horse Fun on that raft, raft adventure movie. That's how you described it. <laughs> they had a dang horse on that raft. They actually, the beginning of a fruitful, uh, toxic uh, friendship between, uh, <laughs> or fiendship, if you will, between Kinski and Herzog. <laughs> yeah, that's a nod to the documentary "My Best Fiend." 
Mm-hmm. Which, directed about uh, Klaus Kinski. Which is a great documentary because it includes a lot of clips of Kinski just talking about how much he hates Herzog and wants him to die. Oh, um, speaking of, um, I also watched Nosferatu this year, which is not quite, it's not one of the four and a half. I gave it four stars. But I did not realize that, was, sorry? No, I was going to say it's awesome. I love that movie. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not going to clarify how my uh, arbitrary rating system works, but uh, four stars means it's really good. Hmm. Um, but did you know there was a Nosferatu 2? Nosferatu in Venice? Yes, starring Klaus Kinski, and I'm assuming not directed by Werner Herzog. No, and it's it's it actually couldn't be released. It's an it's of course an Italian film, and it's a not related sequel. Uh, Klaus Kinski, because initially they wanted him to shave his head again, but he showed up and he's like, "I'm not shaving my head." It had, <laughs> and it's when it's one of those things where it's like, there's a, I think it was called Vampire in Venice, uh, and it, during its original release because. They were like, this. you can't call this Nosferatu in Venice or Nosferatu 2 because it's not a sequel. You're just casting the same guy as a vampire. And I think Christopher Plummer's in it. I actually, it's on Shudder. I started watching it. It's, uh, it's a slog, man. It's, it's no Nosferatu <laughs> 1. Put it that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oof. It's, a, it's a bit of a slog. Um, my pick for next film that I, uh, I first watched is another great film, another Canadian film. It's Siege from 1981. So this mm. is a based on a true story, Atlantic Canadian produced film uh, shot in Halifax. It's the first Salter Street Films production. Uh, they would later go on to do mostly television, but this film is a balls to the wall siege movie uh, based on the true story. Basically in 1980, the Halifax Police Department went on strike. So it was like the purge in Halifax for real. And the first night, nothing happened. The second night, things got wild. And eventually the army had to be called in to settle things down. Uh, so this is basically the, a night of this where a night of this, this uh, police strike. And they actually included real footage from the police strike and the, and the riots that ensued. Uh, this, uh, it's very progressive. There's a, an, a, like a, an apartment, like a house that's been split up into a bunch of apartments and uh, a gay man is being pursued by a mob that wants to kill him for being gay. And um, this apartment group, these people in this apartment take him in and basically swear to protect him against the, the people marauding or trying to get him. Now, I don't want to call them the marauders because they very much, it's, it again, felt like the July 6th mobs. I keep bringing it up, but it's there because they almost that even the July 6th mobs, like they almost don't seem real in their insanity. Like, what was their plan? They're going to storm the Capitol. Mobs existed before January 6th, and they all tend to be kind of crazy. And so the mob uh, mob rule and mob um, – uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not – I'm failing mentality? here. Mob mentality, God. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. Yeah. I just don't understand what, what their end goal was with the January 6th thing. Like, we're going to get in there and then hang around? Like, it's very bizarre. Um, but, you know, Siege – from Halifax, Nova Scotia, restored in a fantastic Blu-ray from Severin Films. A million thumbs up to Severin Films for, for restoring Siege. I heard about this film years ago and could, huh? A lot of thumbs. Yeah, a million. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard about this film years ago, but could never find it. It was never released on DVD. It was only a VHS release. Um, and that's Siege from 1981. Phil, what's your next selection before we run out of time? My, my next selection, it's another uh, Paul Schrader uh, 
joint. Uh, another big downer as well. Um, a bigger downer than card counteract. We have affliction with uh, Nick Nolte and uh, Willem Dafoe and James Coburn. And uh, it's probably Nick Nolte's best performance. And he infamously lost the Oscar to Roberto Benigni. Oh. Life is beautiful. Yeah. That was a good film. I liked Life is Beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Kit, any more discoveries from 2021? Yeah, I'll just I'll list off the uh, last two just because we're going to run out of time. But uh, Possession, which I really enjoyed. Yes. Uh, 1981 horror uh, with uh, Isabella and Johnny and uh, Sam Neill. Quite good. Um, and then one that I recently just watched, uh, which is uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, the end of Evangelion movie. Uh, just blew my mind, man. Cool. Just just insane. Nice. All right. My last two quickly are Gun Crazy. <laughs> Gun Crazy, the classic film from 19, uh, 1950. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. I watched that last year for the first time. So good. And then my other final uh, discovery is The Climb, which is actually from 2019. I highly recommend this film. It is streaming for free on Hoopla in Canada or in Toronto at least. And it's an independent film, really well made. Uh, it's again, it's the kind of film that you walk out of and you're like, thank God people are still making movies like this. It is a great film about two friends uh, and how their friendship kind of deteriorates and cut, builds back up together. And also like threatens to like ruin <laughs> each other's lives. Um, I guess you could call it toxic male friendship, but it's, uh, it's great. Oh, also running time from 1997. Uh, which we're going to do on the podcast next year. So get ready for it. Um, yeah. So that was 2021, the year in film. Any final thoughts or any like look forward to the future? I think we all hope to and pray that COVID will finally end in 2022. Well, looking forward to licorice pizza. Looking yes. forward. Did you guys see the trailer for that new Robert Eggers uh, movie? Um, no. Uh, the Northman. North- yeah. The North, the Northman starring Alexander Skarsgård um, and Bjork. Uh, returning okay. after Dancer in the Dark. Wow. Um, yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. I know. There's I thought a... she would never act again. It's, she said she wouldn't, but apparently yeah. being a, um, uh, I guess, a She's Viking. She's a bitch head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Playing a Viking. Anyway, it looks good. Yeah, looks great. Got Nicole Kidman in there, too, and uh, Ethan okay. Hawke. One of these Viking Zoom movies should use like Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Although I think I think Immigrant Song was actually used quite well in Thor uh, Ragnarok, which was probably the best and oh, only Thor they movie. Did do that. That's right. That is the best Thor movie for sure. Yeah, yeah. Directed by Taika Waititi. He's good for one thing. It's uh, improving those Thor movies. Yeah, did it fantastically. Um, all right. Any final thoughts on 2021 before we wrap it up? No, it's still 2020. I don't believe this 2021 nonsense. Well, 2022 is 2022 also. Yes. 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 I've seen that joke. It makes me upset. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll be back with one more episode, uh, hopefully this year. It's going to be our look back on our first 100 films, which is going to be kind of spotty because I realized every now and then we do like a rando like episode for a movie that we watch, like Sonic the Hedgehog or Joker which is just me on it. So it's going to be a wild ride. I'm going to call it a hundred films in 100 minutes. It's going to be uh, exciting. Yeah. It's going to be a challenge. I have to look them up. I, I, definitely those early episodes. I am too drunk to recall. 
most of the details. You mean those great early episodes when they were 20 minutes <laughs> long? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before we had a banter down and could just talk for hours about Karate Warrior 6. Yes. Or <laughs> Fatal Deviation. Child I, with the Gold Corona. Yeah, I think Karate Warrior 6 is probably our most obscure film that we ever watched. Because it's the one that like nobody else has talked about. I cannot find another written word about it anywhere. Fatal Deviation, because a, po- a video podcast covered it a few years ago. It's kind of a bit, Fatal bit known. Fatal Deviation. Fatal Deviation. Yeah. Boyo. Yes. Good old Jimmy Bennett, or Jimmy Benet, as he liked to be called. We should do a Fatal Deviation too with uh, with What's-His-Face there. Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, I was thinking the uh, the good Irish actor we were talking about. My brain is just fried. I don't know whether it's, I think it's the holiday season approaching. Barry Keoghan? Barry Keoghan, yes. He should be the new final Fatal Deviation. Brendan Gleeson? That's right. Man, yeah. they could redo it. They could remake it. A high well, budget. Brendan Gleeson could play the could play the monk, right? Yeah. Barry Keoghan could be. Uh, oh, maybe maybe he could be a friend. We need like we a. Just get like Jimmy a, Bennett back. Yeah. Yeah, we can Jimmy get Jimmy Bennett. He's probably Jimmy Bennett. Bennett. Well. Hey, Jimmy Bennett. Yeah. He takes care of himself. I'm sure. Probably looks. Yeah, great. he's he's doing stunts now, so he's still in great shape. Um, yeah. So for death by video, I've been Phil. I've been Kit. And I've been Graham. Saying, please be sure to keep watching amazing movies. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Ooh. Should all the way